Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. I recently heard the very sad news that the first church that I ever served as pastor, first as a student and then as an ordained minister, the First Congregational Church, United Church of Christ in Holton, Maine, gathered this past Sunday for its final service of worship before taking leave of one another as a congregation. And while it's always sad these days to hear of yet another church closing its doors, the news of this closing was particularly hard to hear especially given that it had been in existence for well over 200 years, 210 years to be exact, and was the first Christian congregation in that community, meeting at first in the homes of its founders, later on in a variety of other houses of worship, including in a sanctuary built on the site of an elementary school, which is where I led worship for five years. Truly, over the course of all those many years and across so many generations of believers, First Congregational of Holton remained an essential part of the life, history, and faith of that community. And I have no doubt the impact of that congregation will never wholly be forgotten by its members or its pastors, including this one. I actually served that church from the fall of 1982, when I first stepped behind that pulpit as a brand new, still wet behind the ears, didn't know any better young single pastor to the summer of 1987, when as a slightly more experienced clergy type, I answered the call of another congregation in central Maine with a beautiful wife and newborn son in tow. In between were five years worth of wonderful memories and all sorts of lessons learned about faith and life and pastoral ministry. And almost 40 years later now, I can tell you that so much of what I do even today as a pastor was learned in the company of the good, loving, and incredibly forgiving people of that congregation. I learned, for instance, about the art of preaching and about the discipline and the courage that's required to preach the gospel in and out of season. I learned about pastoral care and what it means to sit with a family at the deathbed of a loved one. I learned to celebrate them at weddings and baptisms and confirmations. And I learned what it is to stand before a grieving congregation to lift up the shore in certain promises of God, even as your own heart is breaking. <laughs> I discovered that a 12-string guitar becomes an essential tool for ministry, and I learned how to sing church camp songs on the fly. But I also learned of how much fun ministry can be, about the absolute necessity of having a sense of humor about the work you do, and slowly I at least tried learning how to not take things too personally. Strangely enough, however, one of the most important things I learned in those years is that there is more to leading a church than to just show up on a Sunday morning and step up to that pulpit. Indeed, it turned out to be much more than simply engaging in the usual and expected clergy-type activities. For instance, and I kid you not here, one of my more important responsibilities every Sunday at the Holton Church was to make a big pot of coffee for the fellowship hour. Thinking back, I'm not sure how I got that job, 
I really wasn't much of a coffee drinker at that point, and I had little to no experience actually making coffee. It just happened that early on, folks in the congregation started talking about how much better the coffee was when I made it. So suddenly, you guessed it, I was the resident barista, a position I held for the whole five years I was at that church. Through those five years, I also discovered that I was one of the very few in our small congregation who were trusted to light the pilot lamp on the old gas cook stove we had in the kitchen for our monthly church potlucks, and probably the only one who knew, or more likely would admit to knowing, how to operate the old crank mimeograph machine on which our weekly bulletins and newsletters were printed. I will have you know I had ink-stained hands to prove that I did know how to run those things. In fact, I now realize that a small but significant portion of my pastoral education those first few years involved, amongst other things, shoveling snowy walkways, fixing plugged toilets, and, and removing more than a few of God's small, furry creatures that had found their way into our sanctuary. I do remember thinking at the time that this doesn't exactly how I imagined ministry to be. But I was also realizing that not only was I beginning to take some pride in this somewhat unexpected role as church caretaker, but also that I was not alone in the effort. There was Roger, for instance, who used to spend hours polishing all the brass fixtures on the altar, and together with his wife Ruth would arrange flowers for the sanctuary every single Sunday. Roger always had this little tape measure to assure that the flowers and candles were perfectly and symmetrically placed. And there was Helen, the retired school teacher and women's fellowship leader who spearheaded a yearly Christmas fair that was the envy of all the other larger churches in town. Then there was Percy, the church treasurer, and his wife Marilyn, who would always somehow manage to have a home-cooked meal waiting for that then-single pastor when he went over to their house to pick up his paycheck. And Tim, a local musician who ran a music store and who used to put guitar strings for that same pastor in the offering plate. And of course, there was Mary. Mary, who was confined to a wheelchair and had been reluctantly forced to live at a local nursing facility, but who, for a good many years, right up until the day she died, in fact, embraced a new calling as a cherished caregiver to all the residents of that facility. They used to call her Mary Sunshine, and for good reason. Yes, in all those formative years of my own pastoral ministry, I learned that a good part of this job requires becoming a jack-of-all-trades, even if clearly I'm a master of none. More importantly, however, I learned that just as it takes a village to raise a child, so it takes a whole community of believers, each one with their own individual unique skills and talents and interests and passions, to truly do the work of the Church of Jesus Christ. What I continue to discover in each and every congregation where I've had the privilege of serving as pastor is this amazing truth that we are each and all ministers. It's just that some of us do our ministries in a pulpit, while others do those ministries with a brass polish, a, a mixing bowl and a spoon, or, or maybe even with a paintbrush or a hammer and nails. There are varieties of gifts, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, but the same spirit. God's various ministries of love and care that are carried out in a variety of places and in a multitude of ways. 
but all originating in and through God's Holy Spirit. As the message translates this particular passage, all kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, acts of healing and proclamation, and so much more besides. All these are gifts of the Spirit that, when properly harnessed, become the skills and talents you and I have to share with the church and with the world. The challenge for each of us is where and how we'll choose to share those gifts. And it turns out that this not only has a profound impact on the course of our own personal journeys of faith, but also in a very real and practical sense, it has everything to do with how the ministry of the church moves forward. This is an essential component of our Christian stewardship, specifically the, the talent portion of the three T's of time, talent, and treasure. Moreover, it's one good sign of a healthy spiritual church, a community of faith where the pastors and people work in partnership with one another to seek out the unique spiritual gifts and, and then make use of them in becoming all that God wants and intends for them to be. Regardless of its shape, its size, or its location, a thriving, growing church will always be the place where each one is equipped and empowered to be the minister, whatever kind of minister they're called to be. Now, how all this happens in the day-to-day -day life of a church family and what kind of fruit these ministries might well yield, well, that's one of the great mysteries and a good deal of the fun of this job I have. All I know is that in every church I've had the privilege of serving as pastor, there's always been this core group of lay people who are the ones who really make things happen in the life of the congregation. And it's been in and through their faith and their works that so many blessings have been found. And thanks be to God from whom all these blessings flow. And that brings us to the close of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.